Praise the Lord. Wasn't that an awesome worship service in here? I'm so glad we have Brother Sal in here leading our worship now. Thank you. Also thankful for the Lopez's who put in a lot of time behind the scenes. Thank you guys, both of you. Um, so I was trying to figure out um, what to teach on, and not everyone put an awesome question in the box. So I had a couple to go off, thanks to my roommate for giving me tons of ideas and listening to me shoot all of them down. Um, not all of them. I finally stuck with one of them. So um, I'm going to kind of talk on, kind of, in a maybe weird way, um, how to have a secular job, secular education, and still feel a call to ministry. Um, I told the Lord that I was not qualified because I have only had a secular job for a year. And if you didn't know, now I'm going to CCS. So um, I told him I wasn't qualified, and he said, good, so then I can use you. So we're going to go with that. Um, first, we're going to talk a little bit about Abraham and Sarah. So get a little comfortable. I'm going to ask some questions. Someone tell me something, anything you know about Abraham and Sarah. What'd you say? Lied. They lied. Very good. Anyone else? It's a, they were really old when they had a son. That's right. They laughed. They laughed at God. That's true. Anything else? Anyone know anything else? That's essentially a lot of what happened with them. So we know that they, um, they, they laughed. They lied. And then um, in Hebrews, we find out that they are still called as judging God faithful. And I love that because sometimes I feel like I kind of laugh at what God tells me to do. Or I kind of try to get out of it in a way. And um, hopefully I'll get it together. Hopefully I'm getting it together. And I'll be able to judge God faithful. Does anyone else just kind of see yourself like that? You, know, you don't always trust him, but you're trying to. Um, Sarah is um, the first woman of Hebrews. She is the mother of the Hebrew nation, sometimes called Abraham the father. Uh, one author calls her one of the most important female figures in the world's history. She was given the first grave to be mentioned in the Bible and was the only woman whose specific age is recorded in the Bible. We have one girl about 12 years of age, but Sarah was... Sarah called herself old at the age of 87, and she was 127 when she died. Um, I feel like our culture today has a, a problem with self-image. A lot of women and men, um, the same, have a problem with how they view themselves, their mental image of what they look like and how they think other per people perceive them as well. Uh, one researcher said 91% of women do something to change the way they look to fit a specific mold and only 5% of women naturally possess what they think Hollywood deems as appropriate. But I feel like not only is there a, a self-image problem, but we kind of have a spiritual self-image problem. How we think others are wanting us to look like or how we think others are wanting us to sound like or what we think everyone else 
is saying, well, you, you have to go to Bible school for this long, and then you have to go take your grandfather's church, and then you have to do this and this and this, and, and that's ministry. And if you do something else, then eh, it's not really ministry. We know that that's not true because, of course, that sounds silly. But sometimes we get this idea in the back of our minds that that's what other people think we should be doing. And I think that Sarah and Abraham um, could kind of understand where we are coming from. If we look in Genesis 12, verse 12 and 13, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. It says, Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. As Brother Lopez mentioned, they lied. And it wasn't like a full-blown lie because they had the same dad. They just had different mothers. And so he's saying, hey, say you're my sister. They won't kill me. So they lied about their identity out of fear. Um... Like I said, it wasn't a full-blown lie. It was kind of like a half-lie. Has anyone ever told like a half-lie? Really? No one? Okay, there we go. Okay, just making sure I'm not alone. But one author said, a lie that is half a truth is ever worst of lies. It's still a lie. God doesn't deem it as the truth if it's partway a lie. Um, he, he asked Sarah to represent herself as his sister and... And they do that, and you guys know the story. They go in, they say, oh, she's just my sister. And then they go in, and I think the king, God, tells him in a dream, I think is what happens there in that time. And, um, of course, Sarah gets to leave, and the king's upset because it didn't work out the best way. But if Abraham would have just stood up and told the truth and, and said, no, this is my wife, I believe that God would have protected him and Sarah. Because I believe that God is a protecting God. Does anyone else agree that he is able to do that? Um, it's hard sometimes to kind of not only know the truth, but to really accept the truth in your life. And it's not like we, we go around telling lies about like, oh, no, I'm not apostolic. Most of us in here are probably past the stage where we lie about attending church or we lie about um, even serving God. We Probably the people we work with know we go to church. If you're a girl, they're probably like, mm, why do you wear a skirt every day? Why is your hair dragging the ground? Um, so those aren't really things we can lie about, but the lie can kind of be something that we just accept in our own minds. Like, I'm I'm not, I'm not doing everything God's called me to do. I'm not fulfilling ministry in the way that I thought I was, so I must not be fulfilling ministry at all. It's almost that we buy into the lie that the devil is trying to set us up for. Um, we lie to ourselves and we accept this lie. We confuse and trap ourselves with looping and negative self-talk. We convince ourselves that where we are at right now is so far removed from where God has called us to be that we can never get there. But this is a lie. Hebrews eleven eight says, when he was called to go out into a place, he went out not knowing whither he went. Raise your hand if you feel called of God to do something. Just something called. Um, does anyone feel like 
you don't really know where you're going. Either you feel that way now or you felt that way sometime before. Yeah, so I think that's good because Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place, he went out not knowing whither he went. I think this is the place where God really molds us. He strips us of us. The song says, empty me of me so I can be filled with you. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtapes letters wrote, when he talks of their losing their selves, he means only abandoning the clamor of self-will. Once they have done that, he really gives them back all their personality and boasts that when they are wholly his, they will, they will be more themselves than ever. It's at that point where God breaks us down and separates us from everything we are that we can truly fulfill what he's called us to be. We're going to kind of switch gears and we're going to kind of jump around here for a second. And we're going to talk about Moses. So again, go ahead. Someone tell me something you know about Moses. He killed someone. Thank you. Right. So he was put in the basket, floated down the river. Pharaoh's daughter raised him. You know that story? Good, because we just taught that into my two-year-old Sunday school, so we're, we're good there. Um, Moses was called. I believe that he was protected, preserved, and he also had a secular education, which is kind of cool for me because I also had a secular education, so I feel like I can kind of side with Moses a little bit here. One author says, he had faith in his father's God, or faith in his father's God began to struggle within him for the mastery. Was he a son of Abraham, the friend of the personal God, to sink down into the defiling superstition of Egyptian idolatry? Was he to forget the holy seed and mingle himself altogether with the family of Mizraim? Was the bond that held him to his princely foster mother as strong as that which bound him to the seed of Israel? So the spirit of the Lord whispered to his inward ear, and he hearkened to it. We, of course, know that um, Moses's birth sister was hiding over there in the weeds. I wish I had my little picture that I had for my two-year-old class. Um, his sister was over there waiting, and when Pharaoh's daughter drew him up out of the water, she, of course, asked him, and his mother, his own mother got to raise him for a little while. And then he went back and learned the things in Pharaoh's house and had probably the best, he did have the best education in his time. But I believe that Moses was in a tug of war with his secular education and his calling. And I'm relieved to know that because the, I didn't get to go to a Christian school. I went to public school my entire life and then I went to IU, which I was really not wanting to knew. I wanted to go to IBC. I had a full ride to IU, and I believe that's what God told me to do. But I didn't really understand it, and I was a little bit angry, just a little bit, um, because I felt like I had a tug of war going on with, but God, I'm called to, like, I'm called to do ministry. Don't you know you, you called me to do ministry? Don't you know? You, you put that desire in my heart, and now I have it, and now you're saying going to IU? Do you know that that's a party school? Do you know that I'm going to need you 
every day? I believe God did know that, and I believe he knew that with Moses as well. When we read Acts 7, 23, it tells us that he was about 40 years old when he left Egypt, so when he went out and killed a soldier and then went into the wilderness. It is worthy to note that Moses was thoroughly educated, for he was learned in all the art and acts of Egypt. This to mind means that Moses had the privilege of all the secular and possible, possibly religious education available then in Egypt. This would have made him one of the most educated minds in his time. This somewhat secular education was all part of his general preparations for his future role as a leader in Israel. As is usual with God who always trains his leaders, Moses was thoroughly prepared for his future role. Though at the time it is doubtful that he knew he was being so prepared. God allowed him to be trained in secular college, if you will, to fulfill his calling from God. I love this quote because it says, Moses was thoroughly prepared for his future role, though at the time it is doubtful that he knew he was being so prepared. Has anyone ever just like looked back and been like, oh, that's why I had to go through that was for this lesson now is what I'm doing now. I, oh yeah, I learned how to do that when I was little or a few years ago. Um, I think it's important to reflect on Moses and kind of see that while he did have a secular education, he was also in, in his very early age rooted in, in truth. And I believe that his mother, his biological mother prayed prayers over him. I, I can't imagine her not knowing that he's going to live in Pharaoh's house and, and seeing that God miraculous, miraculously watched over him as he floated down this river. Has anyone else ever questioned God about how he was going to fit the pieces together in your life? Because sometimes it's like a daily thing for me. God, how, how is this going to work out? I, I don't really see why I'm going through this or why I have to feel this way or why I have to be taught this. And it's frustrating. But God does have a plan. Exodus 4.12 was my Bible quizzing verse, I think, when I was 14. And it has literally struck a core in me. Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. God was speaking to Moses and saying, Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And of course, Moses has so many excuses, which we also come up with all the time. God, I want to be called and I want to be used, but... I have this problem and I have this insecurity and I have this flaw and I can't do this and I definitely can't do that. And God speaks to Moses and says, now, therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. I love that because it's not like he's saying, right now I'm gonna tell you everything you're gonna say. He's saying, I'm gonna teach you. Just go and listen because I have a plan and I have a purpose. And I think sometimes that's where we are at whether we're in secular college, whether we're in Bible school, whether we're in our secular career, or whether we're just kind of working a job until something else happens, God is saying, go right where you're at. Because 
In Acts, he also tells us that it's from the center to the circumference. We have to start, I think it's Acts 1-8. After you receive power, it's going to start in Jerusalem. And Brother Mooney in our Acts class all the time was enforcing. It's from the center to the circumference. It's going to start where you're at right now. So where you are at right now, God has called you to be. Where you are at right now, God has an open door and if you're so busy trying to figure out the pieces of what God's going to do seven years from now and how God's going to unfold my ministry, you might be passing up so many open doors to witness to people, to give Bible studies to people, and to reach out because people are in desperation for a word from God. So we have to be ready at all times to say, God, I'm worried about the future, but, but today I want to serve you. So whatever I'm supposed to do today, open my eyes, open my ears, and let me hear your voice teaching me what I should say. And um, in our lives, sometimes we feel broken or that the pieces are just not fit together. And we wonder if, if God can really fit them together. We question him. We question ourselves, and we wonder, how can I possibly be used of God with this insecurity, with this flaw, with, with this career I feel you've directed me to? And Kandra Poitras gave a beautiful illustration while I was at IBC. She said, the pieces of glass lay there broken and looking shattered, seeming that they would never be whole again or complete seeming like an incomplete and impossible puzzle that would never be finished. But you see, they were not broken at all. They were perfectly cut and designed that way, designed to look broken, each piece thought of with care, designed by a master with a vision in sight, a vision to piece them together perfectly, to create a beautiful stained glass window, and the most beautiful thing about a stained glass window is not just the broken pieces, but how they fit together and finally how the light shines through them. We must realize that the pieces of our life that seemingly don't fit together are all just a part of our master's plan. He cuts away the rough edges and places us in uncomfortable situations difficult situations, situations where we have to work and pour every part of us into. But just like the stained glass window, he is piecing unforeseen pieces together. And the best part is that when we are broken and pieced together by the master, it's his light that shines through and gets the glory. That song again, empty me of me so I can be filled with you. I don't want to be anything on my own, but God, if I can just be what you've called me to be, no matter where that means I go to school. I was so frustrated with the fact I didn't get to go to IBC right after I got out of high school. I'm thankful that the Lord opened a door and I was able to go one year, but I'm still like, ah, only one year? People are there for four years but I'm thankful that I was able to go because I do think that is what God called me to do. But what God has called me to do, it, it's not exactly what God has called you to do. 
So I believe that if you feel the Lord has called you to a secular career, that you can still be involved in ministry because we're all called to be ministers. We're all called to pour ourselves into the kingdom. We're all called to be ministers all the time, always ready to give every man an answer, always willing to find a door to, to reach out to the lost people that we rub shoulders with. When I was at IBC, when I was being, when I felt the most like I was being a minister was when I worked at Starbucks and I got to give Bible studies to the people I worked with. <laughs> I, I didn't always feel like I was being a minister, Brother Kilman, when I was sitting in your class. I felt like I was being trained and I appreciate that. Thank you. But it was when I got to go tell someone else. And I think we have to think about that. We have to study to show ourselves approved. And if God calls you to go to IBC, go and enjoy it and learn everything you can. And I'll just be a little bit jealous and pray about it. Um, but if God's called you to do something else, I believe that you can still be full-time ministry. Because when does ministry not become full-time? When does, because we have a job, mean that we can't tell people about Jesus? Because it's always the right time to tell somebody about a Savior that came to rescue them. I believe that we can even look at Proverbs 31 and, and see a woman who was virtuous, as verse 10 says, who can find a virtuous woman? for her price is far above rubies. Verse 13 says, She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She works. She isn't lazy. She devotes time to do something. She's working. Verse 16 says, She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She has the ability to think to reason, to make decisions based on her ability to think. She is confident in her decisions, and she clearly follows God. It's okay to be confident in following an all-knowing God. In fact, we need to be confident of following an all-knowing God. The, God. the same God that created the universe, breathed breath into our lungs, has a plan for your life, and he is saying, I'm working for you. I'm on your side. And, and it's okay with whatever, whatever I've put a burden in your heart to do. I can still use you. I am still going to use you. We sing the song, Jesus at the center of it all. And I love that song, but sometimes it just hits me to be the center of of my life all the time from beginning to the end Jesus be the center of my life we have to know that that we are following him we have to look to him and follow that we weren't born with answers that's why are we create that's why we are created to be attracted to an all-knowing God Aren't you thankful that we have this just innate attraction to, to know God, to question and, and really want to seek him? 
We cannot allow ourselves to get into a place where we become overwhelmed with not knowing the answers because we weren't born with all of the answers. Thankfully, he has the answers and he's big enough for your questions. So give them to him every day if you have to. If it has to be an everyday thing, God, I'm worried about this, but I give it to you. Now what do you want me to do today? What door am I supposed to walk through today? How do you want me to be a minister today? Because God, th- this is what I have going on in my life. And, and these decisions, there are deadlines for these decisions. And, and I have to answer. I have people to answer to. But, but God, I, I give that to you. Show me what to do today. Jeremiah 29, 11, it's a very familiar scripture, but I'm going to read a little bit of the passage. Verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into this place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Aren't you thankful that he knows the thoughts he thinks towards you? I'm so, I find that so encouraging that no matter if I'm so confused about this situation and if how am I going to pay this bill and, and where am I going to live and where am I going to live and where am I going to live? Some of you that know me know that I seem to always have that question. But God is, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And if you will seek me with all your heart, you will find me. God is saying, put me first. Make me the focal point of your ministry, of your job, no matter what it is. Make me the center of your life. When I thought about that, I was kind of like, how how do we make Jesus the center? Because sometimes I think we just say these catchphrases and then we're like, okay, but I can't like just draw a circle and put you in the center and then walk around it. Like, I, What does that mean? I think it just means always trusting in him. And when problems occur and when situations arise and we don't have the answer saying, God, I'm frustrated about this. I'm, I'm, I'm stressed about this, but God, I, I want to give it to you because I know you have the answers. I know that I can just put it in your hands and, and you'll take care of it. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that just will take care of it and will lead you? And, and even when you feel like Abraham and called and not knowing whither he went, not knowing where you're going, we can still feel confident that he has a place for you and it's not just the final it's not just the final place where you occur but it's the journey the whole while though where you're at today well if you're in school today or if you're in your secular job today god might god might be molding you he is molding you and shaping you if i could quote my dear friend Aaron Yancey who is probably going to listen to this podcast as soon as it's up 
She said, Sarah focused on the faithfulness of God rather than her own flaws and failures. We must do that because low self-esteem is just the other side of the coin of self-centeredness. We have to be careful when we begin to be like, God, I can't do it. God, I can't do it. Oh, Lord, what about me? What about me? What about me? Well, it might just be unsurety and it might just be low self-esteem or just wondering what's going on. We have to be careful because just on the other side of that, when we start looking at ourselves too much, we can be right there in self-centeredness and no longer truly have Jesus on the throne of our hearts where he needs to be. We must be careful. We, we can ask God because he's big enough for our questions. And I find that so comforting to know. I can ask him anything, no matter what it is. I can tell him about my doubts. I tell him about my failures. Tell him about my flaws. And then I say, we must say, it's about you, God. It's not about me. So wherever you're taking me, I trust you. And however you choose to mold me today, I trust you. It, it's not fitting into the plan I thought you were leading me to, but, but I trust you. They teach drivers that wherever you're looking is, is where you are headed. If you're looking at the semi passing you, you're going to steer right into it. We have to make sure we're looking to Jesus. We're to make sure we're picking up this word and saying, okay, God, what do you want me to eat from this today? It can't just be a, a Sunday night and a Wednesday night and a Sunday morning thing. It can't be. Because then we are going to become, oh, I can't do this on my own. And you're right. You, you can't. That's why he gave us this precious word to study, to show ourselves approved, and to, to look into this and say, okay, God, I'm worried, but, but show me the story of when Abraham journeyed. And show me the story of when Moses had to be schooled in a, a secular atmosphere. And show me how he felt unsecure when, when God called him to go back there and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Because in Hebrews 11, we read the stories of, of the faithful, the heroes of faith. Anytime I'm worried about anything, oh, I can just open up Hebrews 11 and just read how it, it was impossible. But God, it wasn't going to work out. And, and then God. Because I don't know about you, but if I was Moses and came to a Red Sea, I would be a little overwhelmed and a little aggravated and, and frustrated because, okay, God, you, you told me to go get these people, bring them out, and after you sent plague after plague after plague, finally they let us go, and now here they are chasing us down, and we're standing in front of water. If I could be so blunt to say, what do you want us to do, swim across? But, but God had a plan that seemed impossible to men. And I think that's where God really gets to show off his glory, is when he puts us in impossible circumstances. Or puts us in circumstances, well, well no one else has a ministry like this. Well, 
Well, no, well, no one else does it like this. As long as you've got the backing of your pastor and the word, maybe God has something different for you. And I, I think that's okay. I think that's where God can really show how excellent he is and how not excellent we are because it's not about us. If you're looking at how unqualified you are or how you just can't fit everything together, then you're always going to feel unqualified. But if you just look to the word of God, if you just look to the promises that he has promised, he will do the rest. And isn't that what it's all about? Him? Wayne Huntley said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. It's, it's not making yourself feel like, well, I'm inadequate, and I'm not good enough, and I'm not this tall, or I'm not this thin, or I'm not a good preacher, or I'm not a good speaker, or, or God, I don't even think I'm called to speak in front of people at all. It's not about thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about him, not you. If we can go to Hebrews 11, verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. It's not about you being faithful. Yes, God requires us to be faithful. But it's not like, okay, God, well, I, I haven't skipped a service all year, so am, am, am I good? Can I be used now? No, that's, that's not how God works. Of course, we have to attend church, and of course, we have to be servants and be in there in the trenches and working for the kingdom. But, but it's not based on how good you are. It's not based on how great your attendance is. It's because she judged him faithful who had promised. I love this because I know God's given us promises. Does anyone just feel like you have a promise from God to be to be used to for him to take care of you, to be your protector and your provider? I can remember this this time I was driving and I think I had a flat tire, which I had a really hard time with flat tires while I was in college. It was horrible. And I I didn't have any money cuz I was a college student and I was driving and I had, my uncle had put my spare on. I really didn't have the money to, to buy a new tire, but apparently you can't drive on a donut for very long. <laughs> so uh, I was crying and praying, and I was driving, and I just felt God speak to me, and he said, I will provide for you. Of course, I just cried more because, wow. You will? Like, I, I know that. I know it's in there, but I, I know he spoke that to me. I know he promised me, I'm going to provide for you. I'm leading you 
where I want you to be. Let it be about me. Just judge me faithful because I've promised, not because you're good enough, because you're not good enough. But I am faithful, he says. If we can skip down to verse 24 in that same chapter, Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, which the Egyptians assaying to do were drowned. By faith. It's such like a, seems like a small concept. Oh yeah, just have faith in God. Just have faith in God. Oh, just put your faith in God. Oh, we say it all the time. They have little sayings, faith. You can like paint them on your wall. Faith. But I feel like it's a much deeper concept that you have to do every day. God, I'm a little bit worried about this. I'm a lot worried about this. But I'm going to judge you faithful. You promised to use me. I felt like you told me to go to school for this. I felt like this is the job I was supposed to take. I felt like I did the right thing. So I don't know where you're at because it doesn't feel like you're here. But I judge you faithful. Aren't you glad that we can judge God faithful in impossible circumstances? He gives us story after story of impossible circumstances where they judged him faithful because he is faithful. Abraham sought to save his life endangered through the coveted beauty of Sarai by the denial of his wife. God was better to him than his fears and delivered him from the danger which he dreaded. I think I think that's from the book Hebrews of Heroes of Hebrew History. I found it at Half Price Books. It's like written in 1896. I'm pretty sure it's falling apart. It's really good. God was better to him than his fears. Can anyone say, God's been better to me than my fears? He's bigger than my fears. He's bigger than my insecurities. He's bigger than my flaws. He's bigger than this way that I perceive that people want me to be. He's bigger than that. And he has a calling for you. He has a purpose for your life, for your ministry. And he's saying, judge me faithful. Just judge me faithful. If we look over to Hebrews 10, verse, let's see. Sorry, 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, 
and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So I don't, I don't think it's like we just get to say, God, I, I have faith in you and you're going to take care of everything and I don't have to do anything. No, we do have to put in work. We do have to diligently seek him and continue to judge him faithful. We have to be fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. If God's promised you something, if it's right here, that he's going to take care of you, that he's going to lead you, that he's going to call you, we have to be fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And, and when we are not fully persuaded, like I said, time and time again, you just have to say, God, I'm not feeling fully persuaded today, but, but I want to be because I want to be used by you. Whatever, whatever you have for me to do, help me do it. If you're questioning God because the pieces aren't fitting together, just remember to trust him. He'll fit the pieces together. And just like the stained glass window, it will be the beauty of his light shining through your willingness to be broken, molded, and shaped into his masterpiece. So it doesn't matter if you've been called to be a teacher, a doctor, a dental hygienist, a radiologist, a salesman, whatever it is. God is, God is using you where you are at. And I think we have to have a vision and we have to have, we have to kind of have a plan and, and put it into motion. We can't just sit there and not do anything. When I graduated IBC, we had to go to Brother Gallion and tell him what our plans were. And, and I went in and I said, Brother Gallion, uh, Brother Mooney says not to plan your life because you'll underplan it. So I don't agree that I have to give you this plan. Of course I was kidding. And I had something written down. But my plan that I had written down, it didn't work out. And I'm so thankful. <laughs> because, because his plans, his thoughts are above my thoughts. And I'm glad because the plans that I come up with my life are just embarrassing, if you will. But his thoughts are truly above our thoughts. And it doesn't matter what, where you're at in life. I believe that we have to have a different outlook of full-time ministry because, yeah, we're all called to be full-time ministers of the gospel. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Hannah. Brother Sal, if you could come up, I'm going to have you close us out with, with that song, Jesus at the Center. I, um, I have to share a brief, very brief little testimony. I think we could easily divide. I know we could. This would be the division in this room right now. And it wouldn't be 50-50, but there would only be two places for you to fall. One is going to be somebody who feels like God has called you into the ministry, um, maybe to be a preacher, a teacher, some sort of 
a person called into a specific ministry. The other half of you or the other part of the people in this room are going to fall into a category where you don't feel that calling. It's a very specific calling. You'll know it. God will put it on you. And you don't feel that calling, but out of your love for God and your surrenderance to God, you realize that there is a life that Christians live and there's an expectancy that God has from you that will require you to be a light and a witness. You're in one of those places. I graduated Bible college, um, got married in Bible college like you're supposed to do, right? Got met my wife, found a great woman, got straight A's in Bible college, never got straight A's in my life, didn't even finish high school. Got straight A's in Bible college, did well, liked everybody. Um, as soon as I get out, I know the plan that you're supposed to have in ministry, Sister Hannah, right? You have to go be a youth pastor because that's what we do in UPC. You graduate Bible college, you have to be a youth pastor. Got two offers at two churches, went and visited both churches. And uh, both churches, we just felt like, no, this isn't what God wants us to do. So me and my wife were wondering, well, what does that mean? This is what we're supposed to do. Come back to Calvary. We sit here for a while. We're not really doing anything. We slowly start getting involved in young adults, immediately get involved in prison ministry. I'm watching as everybody else I went to Bible college with is just excelling. They're youth pastors. They're doing all these things. And I got a call of God. What is going on? And I couldn't figure it out. And so the next step is I need to go get my license, right? Brother Kilman, that's what I do. That's what you do. You go get your license. Who knows why I need my UPC license, but I go get it. So I go and I ask. And and, the, and I get turned down. Pastor tells me no. No explanation. No. Okay. So I'm doing everything I can. I back out of that. A year goes by and I think, well, surely it's time for me to get my license now. I walk in there. No. No explanation. A little bit more time goes by and I walk back in there a third time, right? You got to be a fool <laughs> to do this. But I'm just thinking this is how things work. If I don't get my license, how do I get involved in ministry the way I'm supposed to? And I get told once again, no. And so I get to a place very quickly where I think I'm watching boneheads get their license in our organization. And I'm doing everything I can to minister the ministries that other people don't want it, the jails and other places. And I, and I don't even get a yes to get a license. I start getting bitter. I start thinking, man, I'm never going to do anything in ministry. And all of a sudden, God just hits me, and he's like, what? Who do you think you are? It's like, you're nobody. Don't, I'm not going to pamper you. God's not going to pamper me and say, you're a great guy. You're no one, is what he told me, without me. And what you do, you do for me, not for other people to notice, not for other people to pat you on the back, and not to fit the mold of some organization that you feel like you need to fit. You do it for me, God said. And once I caught that, I started feeling alive in ministry. Nothing changed. I didn't get my license. Four more years went by before they called me and said, hey, now you can get your license. But I felt great. In jail ministry, I felt like I was finally connecting. I got to get more involved with this group. And so here I am today. Am I a youth pastor somewhere? No. Am I in what they call full-time ministry? No. I'm what Sister Hannah calls full-time ministry, which I like that. I think it's biblical, but I'm not there. So I just want to say to you guys who have a call of God on your life, and you haven't done anything that's so-called what you're supposed to do. Status quo for the UPC, because that's what you're comparing yourself to when you think about it. Just know God has something for you, and it's going to be good. I've never been more happier than doing what I'm doing right now with you people this day. And so I'm satisfied. The other group of you guys. Matthew 28, 19, and then I'm going to let Sal sing a song, and we're finished. Everyone quotes Matthew 28, 19. 
Rarely do you hear 18 or verse 20. 18, and Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. A statement of his authority before he says these next words. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Here's the next verse. What are we teaching them? We're teaching them to observe all things whatsoever. I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. So no direct call of God on your life. Here's the direct call. Go and teach. Teach them what? Teach them what God's taught you through his word, through your testimony. Share it because that's what he's called us to do. Can we stand and can we make this song our prayer as we close tonight?